0: listening to The Good Fight, Where Campus Meets Christ. Hello, hello.
1: My name is Grace Alita.
0: And I'm Timothy. And I hope you had a wonderful spring break.
1: Yeah, I hope you all had a great spring break. Um, I sure did. So what about you, Tim? Did you have a, a great spring break I, as well?
0: I did. I did. It was not as relaxing until the end, but I got more sleep than I normally do. Ooh.
1: Ooh, how much how much sleep was that?
0: Uh uh some I think two nights I got about twice as much as normal. And my average is about four hours.
1: Wait, your average is four hours of sleep, too? Yeah, it's
0: about four. If you count the weekends, it goes up to five.
1: I did not know you did not sleep at all.
0: What what do you mean? Four hours is some.
1: Four hours is a terrible amount of sleep. Timothy Kinneman.
0: No, Everyone
1: a... listening, please shame
0: me. Shame. <laughs> It's only half of the recommended amount.
1: Yeah, it's literally half of the recommended amount. How are you alive? Why would you do that to yourself?
0: Do you know... <laughs> I like how you're scolding me and Jonathan sleeps like less than I do. So
1: um, I scold him too. <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, today we're going to be talking not about sleep at all, but we'll be continuing our conversation from last week um, about um, Christians and other religions, and this week we're going to be talking about the church. And state basically
0: right which is where we left off last week yeah which is
1: where we left off so last week we kind of dabbled a little bit in in kind of what should a christian interaction with other religions be um when it comes to you know a political state and then now we're actually going to be talking more about that um Mm -hmm. i think it'll come up as an example i think in in our conversation so i think a good place to start um I'll be pulling, we'll be pulling a lot from Grudem. Um, he has a Politics According to the Bible. It is a very good, if, what I've read so far, I've only read like the very beginning. But um, I think Tim's gone farther than I have.
0: Yeah, you can see my bookmark in it. I'm a, a little past halfway through. Oh, wow. Through. He's
1: pretty far, guys. I'm
0: on okay. chapter nine. He's on
1: chapter nine. I'm on, I don't think I finished chapter one.
0: I think the, oh, well. the first chapters are the best. After that, um the first chapters are more general, mm-hmm. like laying the groundwork, and then it gets into specific issues, and I'm more of a theoretical guy than a practical guy, so.
1: So we'll be talking about kind of that theory today. This is why I'm I'm guiding the conversation, because Tim was all like...
0: My thoughts are too jumbled.
1: Exactly. He was like, I will just go on for 12 years, so. <laughs>
0: 12 years. I don't think I can store 12 years of recording on my computer.
1: Well, it'd probably take forever to upload, too. Sorry, I got distracted. There was some, like, crackling I could hear, and I got distracted by it for a moment. But let's begin with maybe kind of the two main ideas when it comes to the interaction between Christians and, and, like, the state that they're a part of. And I think the first one being that um, Christians should, especially, I guess, specifically talking from an American standpoint, Mm -hmm. where um, Christianity obviously has been very dominant in the very founding of the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, like from the very beginning of like, we we hold these truths to be self-evident. Um,
0: Nature's God. Yeah, exactly. Declaration.
1: Natural rights coming from like, being endowed by their creator. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's very much based in the idea of who God is. And so the first thing that um, Grudem looks at, which I really like, is he looks at, um, we can either look in Matthew or Mark. Um, he's looking in, matthew 22 it's also the same story is also found in mark um 12 and so basically what's happening here is there's basically a bunch of pharisees they want to trap jesus because if they they can get him to say um something that is in opposition to the roman empire Mm -hmm. is it an empire at that point yeah roman empire um
0: this is a tiberius is emperor this
1: is why I keep the historian, <laughs> um, on the <this> show. <laughs> Thank you for your <laughs> contribution. So yes, the Roman Empire, and um, if he could say something against the Roman Empire, like saying you don't have to pay your taxes, obviously, dun dun dun, it's a crime. Yeah. So what, is, Tim? Would you like to read this passage?
0: Oh, uh, I think is it quoted more in full in Grudem. I only have one sentence pulled up on my computer.
1: Okay, I can read it. I'll be reading from Mark 12 because that's what I've pulled up, but the same story is in Matthew twenty, 22. Um, so Mark 12, verse 13. Later, they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. They came to him and said, Teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no mind to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? But Jesus knew the hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me? He said, bring a denarius and let me look at it. They brought, a, they brought the coin and he asked them, whose image is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God. And they were amazed at him. And so
0: we talked a little bit last week, didn't we, about kind of the heresy that the Jews would have seen in paying this tax, right? Because of the inscription on the coin.
1: Oh, yes. Dele, Filius. Um, Which, if you'd like to translate.
0: Son of the divine, right? Calling Augustus a god.
1: Exactly. Which is obviously heretical. Right. (laughs) Um, And so I think, I mean, that really speaks volumes to the situation that, jesus was put in Mm -hmm. um and grudem writes about this and he says like this is a remarkable statement because jesus shows that there are there are to be two different spheres of influence one for the government and one for the religious life of the people of god such some things such as taxes belong to the civil government aka the things that are caesar's and this implies that the church should not try to control these things on the other hand some things belong to people's religious lives the things that are god god's And this implies that the civil government should not try to control those things. Um, And so obviously what Grudem goes on to say is that obviously Jesus does not specify a specific list.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's not a a huge laundry laundry list there.
1: Honestly, a bullet point list would be nice. (laughs) (laughs) But um, that's not what he gave us. But instead he did give us this this distinction. Um, Yeah, Tim, what are your thoughts on that?
0: Well, I think, first of all, context is very important here. And just looking at the, I think, as you read, they were looking to trap him in his words, mm-hmm. right? So it's already this, like, cat and mouse game of of logic, where they're kind of setting up a false dichotomy. And I think that's, uh, it's just brilliant. <laughs> like, Jesus, what a genius. And then, on, as far as the distinction goes, I think one of the, I think what this verse is more explicit about is that your loyalty isn't only to God right and this is something we see in Romans 13 yeah that there's there's kind of a a chain that obedience to Do you your want to soul read out gover- Romans 13 yeah. yeah yeah Romans 13 uh this is just the first four v- verses let everyone let every person be subjected to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God and then I have an ellipse here I have no idea where picks up again for he is God's servant for your good but if you do wrong be afraid for he does not bear the sword in vain for he is the servant of God an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer so you really get in this in this passage here this idea that I mean Paul is quite explicit about it no authority except from Mm -hmm. God obedience to the civil authority is obedience to God yeah um and so, you know, when Jesus says, give give to Caesar's what is Caesar's, he's not saying Caesar is above God, listen to Caesar only. Right, right. Um, he's saying, in obedience to Caesar, you're actually obeying God.
1: Yeah, and I think I, I liked, I saw a diagram that Tina put, put in, in research for this that I really liked, um, was... It was what is God's and it's this larger circle, mm-hmm. which is, it's obviously everything. And then what is Caesar's is like a smaller circle enclosed within that. Yeah. Um, and so what is God's is covering what is Caesar's, right? And like what or sorry, maybe a better way of putting it is like what is Caesar's is not just Caesar's ultimately, it's God's. Right. Um, and I think especially the context for Roman's verse is also good and useful because it's not like when when Paul is writing that, he's not writing it at a time when um
0: it's it's not the scholastic period where you have all the catholic monarchs, right exactly kings. it's uh he's
1: not living in a theocracy <laughs>
0: it's the roman empire where christians are literally being killed
1: mm-hmm. exactly and and so when he's saying submit to the government or be subject to the governing authorities um this is really where you get into kind of the idea of god's sovereignty as well mm-hmm. i think it's very overlapped is the idea that you're not like even even amongst persecution, it is still glorifying to God for you to obey civil authorities, um, and obviously there is the caveat there, right? Because mm-hmm. going back to that that Mark verse slash Matthew verse, um, is that there are some things that are that like the, the um, that are regulated by the by the church and not by the state, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so there are certain things, um, namely like things that are like moral pertinence um those are issues that although obviously laws will be instituted and will be instituting to a certain extent morality right um ultimately the church does have a right to uh, maybe morality is not the best example but you can think about um an example where
0: one one way i think of the distinction is internal external Right? The government cannot control your internal thoughts. It can't punish your internal thoughts because it doesn't know, hey, you know, uh, Sermon on the Mount, right? Jesus says, if you even looked at a woman with lust, mm-hmm. you've committed adultery in your mind, right? That's very much an internal action. Yeah. The government can't regulate that action, nor can they punish that because there's just no way for the government to know what's going on in your mind.
1: Well, and beyond that too, if the government were to say it's a le- like like in Romans, um, if the government said it is legal for you to worship worship God, and if you do, we will like you will be you will be punished. Mm-hmm. Um, Christians do not have to, you know, obey that, right? Like right. they don't have to cease gathering um, or cease worshiping God in public, um, because
0: because it's directly contrary to what God commands right. in scripture. Exactly.
1: And I think that's that's a key key distinction. Um and then another point that Grudem makes that I really like along the same li- same lines as he he compares kind of um, the Old Testament versus the New Testament or the Old Covenant versus the New yeah. Covenant. And in saying that he says um With regard for the Old Testament Israel, the whole nation was a theocracy in that God was the ruler of the people. The laws were directly given to Israel by God rather than being decided upon by the people or by a human king. And the whole nation was considered God's people. Therefore, everyone in the nation was expected to worship God. And the laws of Israel covered not only what we today would consider secular matters, such as murder and theft, but also religious matters, such as animal sacrifices and punishments for worshiping other gods. Um... And so, in Jesus's very words, of declaring that there's a difference between what is Caesar's and what is God's, or not difference, but that they they fall under two um, circles, mm-hmm. if you will, he is like very clearly separating new covenant from old covenant as well, which is really yeah. cool. I like that. I'm a big fan. <laughs> Do you have any thoughts on that?
0: Um, not really. I don't. I don't think I can put it better than Grudem.
1: Yeah, he does a really good job.
0: He's a super clear writer. Mm-hmm. Super clear.
1: Which which I think, yeah. He goes on to to talk about there's so many reasons. Like honestly, just get by yourself this book. It's it's great. Um and read it, read through at least the first few chapters because I've been enjoying them a lot and it's hard to cover everything that he talks about. Um, but I think there are a few other points that are good to make, um, which is is the idea of within which I think historically, obviously, we have gone a little bit astray. Um, I'm hinting, but I'm not telling you. I just <laughs> jump to the point. Jump to the point, which is um, like Jesus Himself refuses to compel people to believe Him, yeah. um, and so I think this this also gets at the idea that like a genuine faith can't be kind of forced upon someone, mm-hmm. um, and so this is where this interaction of like if you have a Christian-dominated government, that doesn't mean like the goal of, as a Christian is not to force people to be Christians. Right? Because it, it's not going to work. Not going to um, work. So. And so I liked one place that um, Grudem references is Luke nine fifty two, to 54, which I actually hadn't thought about before reading, and I thought it was cool. Um, and he writes, Another incident in Jesus' life also shows how he opposed the compel religion view, for he rebuked his disciples when they wanted instant punishment to come to people who rejected him. And here's the quote. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the uh, Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from the heavens and consume them? The disciples apparently thought they had an excellent way to convince people to come hear Jesus in the next village. If fire came down from heaven and wiped out the Samaritan village that had rejected Jesus, then the word would get around and Jesus um, and the disciples would have a 100% attendance in the next village. What a persuasive method to compel religion. But Jesus would have nothing to do with this idea. The next verse says, but he turned and rebuked them. Jesus directly refused any attempt to try and force people to believe in him or follow him. And I really liked that because I think it's a very clear I think, yeah, a very clear example of Jesus actually in work choosing not to compel through violence. I think you Mm -hmm. could also say, like, the same way through laws. Like, if the law was made that said it is mandatory for everyone to go to church on Sunday, as Christians, like, we shouldn't be a proponent of that because that's not going to... Like, you're basically forcing... I guess maybe that's not quite as much the violence that gets a little bit more into the idea of of genuine faith, but...
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I think... I mean, going going back to Romans, I think anything that government does is compulsion mm-hmm. through violence. Yeah. At Romans, but if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword yeah. in vain, right? The idea of government laid out in Romans, and I think there's a verse in, in 1st and mm-hmm. 2nd Peter 2, that it is to promote good and to punish bad. Yeah. And uh, punishing bad comes with the sword. And this is not... A metaphor right it's pretty clearly a sword for violence Mm
1: -hmm. yeah no i think that's a good point um it also kind of gets at, i think a common fear nowadays specifically in in america um obviously it's different in other countries especially countries where um christianity is persecuted but where that kind of idea of the sword it's maybe a little bit not clearly expressed but clearly felt Mm. i think would maybe be a better way of putting it but another view that I think we see in the United States is this idea of if Christians have too much power in like politics, they will force their religion on other people. Right. Um, that was a
0: I know the the Roman Catholics for a long time were basically persecuted mm-hmm. even by Protestants in America. Yeah. Because they just thought, oh well, you know, if the Catholics have political power, then you're just giving control mm-hmm. to the Pope. Exactly, which is not, in fact, the case. So,
1: yes, we don't support uh, Christians persecuting other Christians either. Uh, not a good idea.
0: <laughs> De- definitely don't. Definitely don't support that.
1: Um. Yeah. So then, I think that gets to. So I think I think that actually helped us cover what we were talking about a little bit last week with the idea of compelling those of other religions yeah. to convert, right?
0: Yeah. Don't don't call down fire mm-hmm. on the Muslims or Hindus, Hindus or, or the atheists, yeah,
1: or Jews, like, don't do that, or yeah. Mormons. Yeah, Jesus
0: said, don't do that.
1: <laughs> yeah, he made that pretty darn pretty darn clear, I think. Um, obviously, historically, we've, you know, chosen to cut that little section out, occasionally, yeah. but you know, <laughs> humans are sinful, as we've talked about yeah. many a times here. <laughs> we've,
0: we've all fallen short.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, unfortunately. And so then I think maybe the second place that people go... Um, is the idea that... Just, just oh, yeah. to be a
0: little more explicit, that last view we were looking at is contra church control state.
1: Yes, yes.
0: Yeah, I just... I'm familiar with this first chapter in Grudem. So he goes mm-hmm. through five, what he considers fallacious or wrong views of how the church should relate to the government. Right, yeah, yeah. One of them is church control state. Yeah. And now we're turning to...
1: The idea of...
0: Church has nothing to yes. do with the state.
1: Yeah, so now we're turning to... The idea of have a complete separation Mm -hmm. from church and state, Um, which I think is is probably the one that we see nowadays harped on the most in the States, Um, is this idea of they should be completely separate. Um,
0: And I think this is also one that you're more prone to find even within Christians.
1: Yes. Yeah, yeah. That's true.
0: Grudem mentions a few of his opponents um, in the book. I don't Mm -hmm. remember who they are, but they're prominent theologians.
1: Right. Yeah. No, Exactly. Which I think is I think is obviously now we're asserting a specific viewpoint, but I think, I mean, I would say I think it's pretty, pretty well supported. Yeah, I'm um, I'm
0: I'm convinced. Grudem convinced me.
1: Yeah, if you're y'all, any of y'all are unconvinced by the end of this, send us an email. We support. We want to hear mm-hmm. um, your opinion. I think that maybe the first place to start in this conversation is actually going back to that to Mark, um, where in Mark slash Matthew twenty two, so Mark twelve, Matthew twenty two, um, when Jesus is talking about give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. Um, there is clearly something that is God's, right? It's mm-hmm. a very clear. It's not like a give everything to Caesar, the end. Caesar yeah. is above God. Um, and I think that's key because it, it sets a very strong baseline for the idea that there are things that are going to be God's. Mm-hmm. And so part of this conversation is then relating to what exactly is God's. Um, and what influence does that have on, you know, the broader, like, uh, I just lost my train of thought.
0: I don't know what word you're looking for. The broader picture diagram.
1: No, I think it was something more like the broader, oh my word, how did I just lose it? I was like, I looked down at the page for one second <laughs> to know where I was going next. And it just pew, disappeared. Um, I think I was going to say something along the lines of like, how, like how it affects, the broader community in terms of living in a society.
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So it's like, it's not, um, the argument we're really looking at is whether religion is more like private or public. Mm-hmm. Um, and what, what effects it has on the public sphere, if yeah, any. Yeah. Um, and I think that's kind of a good next, next place to look. Any yes. thoughts?
0: Uh, well, i just that I've read another book on that, that topic about secularism itself. Yeah. Um, I don't remember what that one's called. It's like the the end of secularism or something like that. Mm-hmm. Also, a very interesting book.
1: Interesting. Wait, and was there any other?
0: No, that oh. was it. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. Interesting. Interesting.
0: <laughs> no, that that might influence some of my comments in this mm-hmm. later discussion, though.
1: Okay, so now where to start here? There's so many good things. It's always hard to pick. I think so. Grudem is is kind of he's looking specifically about. Oh, I found the part that I wanted to go to, but he's he's talking kind of more directly towards the American government, obviously mm-hmm. being an American right. um, and living within the United States. And one of the parts that I really liked, actually there's two of them. The first point that he has um, is that saying that kind of they should like religion and the government should have no interaction with one another. Um, and he's, he's kind of approaching this and saying one of the first things is that it like saying that fails to distinguish the reasons for a law from the content of a law um, which I thought was a good, good distinction to make. Um, and so one of the first things that he says is, uh, such exclusion, religion arguments are wrong. Uh, oh wait, this is kind of going off of actually a previous conversation about marriage. I don't know if I want to read all of that. <laughs> That's kind of hard to summarize. Yeah. Don't,
0: don't quote too much.
1: Anne.
0: Um, we did promise some Daniel last week. So. Wait, did
1: we? Oh, we did. Yeah.
0: And I, I know Grudem uses Daniel in that section. He does. I'm fairly certain. Yeah, because he talks about how Daniel influenced the Babylonian Maybe you government. Don't
1: before or after. There's a lot to summarize. Which was,
0: you know, the Babylonian. Oh, I
1: found it. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: You want to just read it?
1: Oh, sure. Yeah, we can just. Yeah, that sounds good. Um, and so this is under the subheading Biblical Example of God's People Giving Counsel to Rulers. Mm hmm. Um, he says, the Bible gives several examples of faithful believers who give clear witness to government officials about how they should govern. The prophet Daniel told King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, the most powerful ruler of the world, in about 600 BC, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. In the New Testament, John the Baptist rebuked Herod. Oh, now he's going on with another example. Yeah. Um. Should I keep reading it? Or... Uh, it's up to you. It's up to you. Uh, Herod the Tetrarch, a civil governor under the Roman Empire. For Herodotus, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod has done. Certainly, John's rebuke of all evil things included many acts that Herod had done as a governmental ruler. I don't think that was quite what I wanted.
0: Oh, well, we promised Daniel. We so did promise Daniel. There's your dose of but Daniel. But there,
1: there is other places where he...
0: Well, you said you had two, so what was the second one?
1: The second one that I wanted to... Yeah, the second one I wanted to mention was the idea of morality um, and Christian morality, which I think I have hinted at a little bit earlier mm-hmm. and last week. Um, and so one thing that I, I think is har- hard about, that Grudem talks about, um, about kind of once again separating separating religion and government, is that it removes like from government God's teachings about good and evil.
0: Yes. Um, Going back to Romans, which yeah. is, by the way, one of my mm-hmm. favorite verses. I've said it again. And again, but um, it ex- the the state exists, servant for your good mm-hmm. to promote good, but also bearing the sword, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Yeah. So punishing evil. Yeah. Um, that is that is the image of of government, but what is good and evil?
1: Yeah. Exactly. Well,
0: the Bible is there. You go, good and evil, right there.
1: Yeah, so as Grudem writes, the Bible, literally exactly what you said, clearly, because you read this um, and have thought about it, is the Bible says that the government official is God's servant for your good. But how can government officials, and that's quoting Romans uh, 13, 4, but how can government officials effectively serve God if no one is allowed to tell them what they believe god expects of them the bible says that government officials are sent to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good first peter two fourteen. but how can they do that if no spokesperson from any of the world's religions are allowed to give them counsel on what is good and what is evil mm-hmm. such a viewpoint has to assume that there is no god or if there is we cannot know his moral standards which Boom. i think as a christian is a really hard mind argument mind to drop. make Anyway, he has, a, like, Grudem wrote a very short passage on that, but honestly, I think that was one of my favorite
0: sections. Yeah, that, sections. Is, no, that I think... is, I mean, it summarizes pretty much everything he said before. That. That's true. It's like the the peak of his argument.
1: Mm-hmm. And I think it's especially strong when it comes to conversations with other Christians, mm-hmm. um, because most, I, well, basically to be a Christian, you are assuming that God, or you're, yeah, you're working off of the presupposition um, that God has kind of defined as is the arbitrator of who, like what good and evil are yeah. in his very nature, because he in his, like by his existence defines what is, what is truth. Yeah. Um, And so as a Christian, by believing that God is the arbiter of truth, you are saying that there is a good and evil. And if you're saying that there is a good and evil, that's defined by God. And in reading the Bible, you see examples of, well, not just, I mean, one, we see examples of Daniel where you, they're obviously giving counsel, right. but you also see clear expressions of um, of God's intent for government to be a servant for your good. Mm-hmm. The conclusion is is therefore that you have to be able to like you can't hope and pray that someone's going to be a Christian, right? Like he also actually has a whole other section upon like voting for non Christians. I think that's great too. It was pretty well done. But yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. So I, I have nothing to add there.
1: That was actually all I wanted to cover for. That was my my goal, kind of spin on through. So do you, Tim? Tim has more thoughts, probably in general.
0: Yeah, I mean, you kind of mentioned it at the beginning, um, but one of the huge counter-arguments to Christian influence on government is always rooted, in, not always, but one of the big ones is rooted in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Um, Grudem talks about someone who criticizes Christian biblical approaches to government yeah. because he says. Oh, well, then you think like uh, adulterers should be stoned. Mm -hmm. You know, that's in the Old Testament. Yeah, exactly. And so what you were talking about with the Old Covenant versus the New Covenant, that plays an effect. Yeah. And it gets complicated in there because you have to kind of needle between the specific uh, commands that God gave for the Israelites to set them apart as his people And then the general commands Mm -hmm. of morality, which, uh, which God laid down to say, this is what is good. Um, and what it is, what is evil. So that gets a little complicated. Um, but in general, I think you can derive most of biblical morality from the new Testament. Mm -hmm. I think Jesus does a great job between the sermon on the Mount. Um, what are the greatest commandments, you know, I think those two moments give you a very mm-hmm. clear picture of what Christian biblical yeah. morality really is. And, f- you know, it's, that's not separate from the Old Testament, mm-hmm. right? Jesus c- quotes the two greatest commandments. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's just, it's a way that you can derive the general principles out of the specific commands of the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. So that's one thing.
1: My favorite example, I think my, one favorite example maybe to give to illustrate the point. Um, is that one of the, the old testament laws is that you should have a fence around all four corn like all four sides of your top of your roof. Mm-hmm. Um and you're like, why in the world? Clearly I'm not gonna have a I'm not gonna have a <laughs> fence around the top of my roof. Like why would I ever do that? Unless maybe you have like a widow's peak, is that what it's called? A widow's perch or something like that? Um, on the top of your house. But most people don't anymore. It's mm-hmm. mostly a Victorian house thing and houses by the sea. Um and so you're like, that's kind of weird. But if you look at the historical context for it, generally when you had get that, like visitors come and stay at your house, they'd get to sleep on your roof. It was a very nice place. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what did you want to put around the the four sides of your your house? Um, you wanted to put a fence so that your visitors wouldn't accidentally roll off the top of your house in their sleep. Um, and so obviously what we don't take as Christians is that specific law to have a fence on your roof. But what we do take is the idea behind it, which is that you should be like, you should have hospitality to your guests. You should provide for them. Um, and you should be like generous. And um, that means that like, it maybe yeah, it could mean putting them like having a nice safe place for them to sleep um, and mm-hmm. providing food for them and things like that. Um, where those are the principles we take from it. But, not the specific law itself.
0: Number two, you mentioned secularism, right? Mm -hmm. And I think one of the really big things for me is looking at the danger of saying, what happens when Christians are either excluded from telling the government what is good and bad or when they self-exclude themselves? Mm -hmm. Um, And actually to turn to um, the research that... Did, did Tina do this recently? I believe
1: Tina did this one yes okay
0: well we might be wrong
1: no actually I know Tina did because favin did the last one
0: okay it doesn't always trade off like that though
1: no but because remember what favin wrote overlapped with this and then we were talking about it oh, last week yes. and like huh.
0: okay yeah. so Tina in her research she she turned a lot to this um theologian I I'm unfamiliar with him his name is Jonathan Lehman But he sounds, the stuff he's writing sounds very similar to Grudem. Mm -hmm. There might be a little discrepancy, um, but in general, I like what he says. Um, And one of the things, this is unrelated to secularism, um, but this is just going off of what we were talking about in general. He says, God does not authorize governments to do whatever they wish. He does not authorize them to redefine marriage or the family. No government is, in quotes, above the demands of these verses. Mm -hmm. Finally, he does not authorize governments to prosecute crimes against him, such as blasphemy or false worship, or to criminalize every sin imaginable, such as adultery or homosexuality. Some room for debate in there. Indeed, it would seem governments must tolerate false religions so long as they cause no direct harm to human beings. Um, And then he he quotes in Genesis, um, which is commonly viewed as When God speaks to Noah, this beginning of um, God's commands about civil government, where he says, whoever sheds the blood of man, uh, his blood shall be shed by man, right? Therefore, not by God. So he quotes that here as um, justification for kind of a million harm principle. uh, Yeah, exactly. Government stops harm from other people kind of deal. So that's one thing. If you have anything to say about that, go ahead, because I'm going to look for this other quote.
1: Um. I actually don't really, I <laughs> apologize. Um, hard to keep, fill up the gap, but yeah, I think, I mean, he does, this author, um, when I was reading through it, I think he was very strongly kind of appealing to um, a million conception of, of like um, harm, like millions harm principle, uh, very similar in the sense of what it like, he's really getting into kind of even a deeper question that I think can still be debated among Christians, I think is debated among Christians, which is then what is the role of a government to begin with? Mm-hmm. Um, and so he's taking a specific stance. Grudem, I guess I haven't gotten far enough to know if Grudem takes a very He does spe- take. Okay. He takes
0: specific stances on everything. Oh,
1: well, I'm not surprised by that. Um, so I don't personally know Grudem's stance because I haven't gotten that far in the book yet. Um, but that is kind of a deeper question beyond the idea of, what is the interaction of the government and the church? Because obviously that's one question that can be answered um, and applied to many different forms of government, which is especially key because obviously the Old Testament, or not Old Testament, the Roman Empire as a government is radically different from um, the United States of America, um, which is, the United States of America is pretty similar to um, like certain European countries, but obviously even there, there are discrepancies um, based on like the role that government takes, um, in like social welfare, for example, but all in all these principles, like hold across all of them, that there should be a separation. Um, and that the state is kind of endowed with power by God. Um, that is, you know, he is the sovereign over, over governments. Um, and so then like the further question to ask that, I guess we haven't really gotten into today, but that he's appealing to is the idea of, um, what What is the role of government then? What should it be? Mm-hmm. Which I think is a deeper question.
0: That is, yeah. And it it also gets a lot more debate. Oh, yeah, for so sure. So I, I think it's good that we're...
1: Especially within the Christian church. Like, I think there are yeah. definitely... I don't think your faith at all is impacted by the standard <laughs> you know? <laughs> no, definitely not. Like,
0: uh, definitely not. It's a, it's a very secondary issue. It just yeah, has sure. major implications on how we actually engage with the world.
1: Which is why... Christians disagree on politics, like Mm -hmm. this is why there are Christians who are kind of all over the political spectrum And and Grudem
0: takes a very very hard stance on that one. Really?
1: He does? Oh, yeah
0: Just wait until you get to like chapter three or four.
1: Okay. haven't gotten there yet. He's
0: quite explicit about it
1: Interesting. Interesting. Okay. What was your second your third point? Uh,
0: So this second point is actually the quote um, comes from another author here He wrote for he wrote an, an article on the Gospel Coalition his name is Donald Williams, and he says, secular education is an oxymoron. The harder education tries to be secular, then the more it becomes secularist. Atheism and naturalism are subtly privileged, in effect, as the only truths that matter. Yeah. And this is what I wanted to, this is why I brought up that other book I had read, because that was very much what it talked about. Is um there's this general view in society um, that secular is a free space, right? Mm -hmm. That everything can come equally and influence the way people think, the way people act, the way government forms laws and influences society. But in reality, um, that is not what secular is. Secular is Mm -hmm. anti-religious. It is removing a space for religion to then influence society, influence government um, it's it's very much taking out uh, what we said about uh, Daniel influencing the yeah. Babylonian Nebuchadnezzar, mm-hmm. um, where you don't have religious leaders telling the state this is what is good, this is what is bad, and I think in partic in particular what De- what Donald Williams here is talking about is education, um, and I do think that is one thing that Christians should be very wary of is this approach to education that's secular Mm -hmm. because it's not it's not creating kind of a free space for discourse it's creating a space that is anti-christian
1: or anti-religious in general yes Yeah. yeah yeah which i think is especially pertinent to christians because we do have a commandment by god that like specifically when it comes to being a parent um part of your responsibility that's been kind of entrusted to you by God is Mm -hmm. to raise up your children. Yeah,
0: I just read Um, uh, Gruden's chapter on that the other day.
1: Nice, Uh, And obviously a large Mm -hmm. part of raising up your child is educating them to know. Yes. Like, to know and love God. which
0: Which isn't to say that education should only be, you know, it should only, or every school should teach that, oh, God is the creator of the universe and everything, Mm -hmm. right? It's not saying that you can't have a free space where all of those ideas are welcome. Right? It's just saying that education doesn't teach that God isn't the creator of the universe mm-hmm. or doesn't assume that God isn't the creator of the universe.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um which I think well actually we don't I was going to go into what Grudem's argument on education is, but I I changed my mind. <laughs> he, but if you ever get to that, I think it's like I forget what chapter it's chapter
0: in. 6 or 7 I think. Uh maybe 8.
1: And I enjoyed that little section, so I did jump ahead. (laughs) Oh, I see. I don't read things in order, unlike Tim.
0: I like to go cover to cover.
1: Yeah, no, no, no. I like to skip around as the topic pleases me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think, is that all we have? I think that's all we have.
0: Yeah, I could probably say more. I just, yeah, it's all jumbled. It's not organized. That's fair. But if I were to say kind of the most important things that I took away from my first reading of Grudem and just thinking more and more about this issue... Um, and even taking away from Jonathan Lehman and Donald Williams here, is the government exists for a purpose. Mm-hmm. And that purpose is to promote good and to punish wrong or bad or evil, however you want to say that. Um, and it can't do that if it doesn't have an idea of what is good and what is evil. Yeah. As Christians, we have clear... Standards of good and evil and those are the standards that the government is likewise expected to live up to Right. God isn't saying in in Romans 13 Paul isn't saying let the government punish good However, it wants to define good and evil. However, it wants to define evil. Mm -hmm. It is subject to God's authority Um, It is uh, derivative of his power Um, And so when it when it promotes good and punishes wrong those are God's definitions. And that's what we should seek to have government institute as well.
1: Yeah, I think that's a good good place to end. I think it's summarized as well. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. See, not too jumbled, not too jumbled. Not too
0: jumbled, <laughs> no. I can summarize.
1: <laughs> that's good. Well, maybe we'll come back to this topic at some point then, um, as we both read more of Grudem and his politics according to the Bible. Um,
0: I could probably do a, a whole semester on politics.
1: Hey. Maybe next year. If y'all want to hear that, let us know. <laughs> well, thank you guys so much for tuning in. Um, we're glad you got to enjoy this conversation with us. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, opinions, et cetera, et cetera, feel free to reach out to us at witness the good fight at gmail.com or at the good fight pod on Instagram or Facebook. Yeah. We look so forward to interacting with you soon.
0: I know Tina always gets mad at me for sidetracking at the very end of episodes. But Grace Alita has been picking the nail polish off of her fingers this whole time, and there's a little heap of it over on the table, and I think it's it's so funny.
1: Is it worth noting? Uh, it yeah. was a little
0: distracting to me that whole time. Oh, I'm sorry. I was, I was proud of you that you were able to recite that whole email thing while doing it.
1: <laughs> I have many skills, uh, many talents. If you would like to learn my tips and tricks on... Uh, <laughs> multitasking while picking off gel nail polish because that is the improper way to remove it but i am too lazy to do it the proper way so i'll hurt my nails in the process um feel free to reach out to us on any of the platforms aforementioned yeah see you next week
0: see you next week Bye. thanks for listening we'll see you next week on the good fight where campus meets Christ.